I want to start today by asking you, do you remember meatloaf? And I'm not talking about that dried out stuff that your grandma used to make with lots of ketchup. I'm talking about that late 80s, early 90s molded guy named Meatloaf. Do you remember him? The 8 o'clock service had no clue what I was talking about, so don't leave me hanging, okay? So in the, the, it was actually, I googled it. In the year 1993, Meatloaf came out with the song. Are you ready for it? It's going to get stuck in your head. I would do anything for love, but I... Oh, good, I did not get left hanging out to dry. I was like, this whole thing was bombing if it did. Might as well go home. So today, I want to get a different song stuck in your head, meatloaf style, okay? So please, don't picture me with a mullet. That is awkward for you, even more awkward for me, okay? But here is the song. It will all make sense by the time we're done, okay? This is how our character of our passage today, Naaman, this is how he said, I would do anything for healing but I, okay, you guys are terrible. Let me try that again. <laughs> I would do anything for healing, but I, <sighs> you can tell I'm not a worship leader, right? So here's the deal. That is exactly what we're going to learn is Naaman said he would do anything, but that one thing. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, we'll start in verse 1. We're going to break it down verse by verse. We won't read it all at one time because there's a lot of scripture today. But we'll read, we'll chew on it, read, we'll chew on it, we'll get convicted. Um, that will kind of be the path that we'll go. But here we are, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. And here's what God's word says. It says, Naaman, commander of the army of the Lord, army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Because by him the Lord had given him victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Let's stop right there. Naaman was a great leader. Scripture says that he was a high commander, highly respected of a very powerful army. Men jumped when Naaman said to jump. In fact, they would say, how high? They showed him great respect. They showed him great honor any time that he would speak. Not only was he powerful, But he was very popular as well. In fact, even in Naaman's day, often the kings would be afraid of the army commanders because they were afraid they would be overthrown. But not Naaman. His king respected him. His king loved him and honored him. Naaman was a man that any mom would want to call his son, any dad would want to have his daughters marry. If I could succinctly describe Naaman, it would be like this. Naaman was the man. Naaman was the man. He sounds like one of those guys that you would hear on a commercial, the most remarkable man you have ever met, right? He sounds like that. But the only problem is, Naaman would never have been featured on a commercial. For Naaman, as the end of verse 1 says, suffered through a very difficult disease, that being leprosy. Leprosy was a disease that was incurable. There was no solution for what he struggled with. And what happened when someone had leprosy is it would literally disfigure their skin. They would become social and cultural outcasts. And most typically, although not in Naaman's case, but most typically, someone that struggled with leprosy would be quarantined and taken out of normal society. In Naaman's time, there was no dermatologist to go visit. There was no special cream you could go buy from the local CVS to put on your skin. There was no cure. There was no hope. Look at verse 2. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him 
of his leprosy. Do you see this girl's faith here? Let me read it from the NIV translation. For me, it makes a little bit more sense. And here's what it says. If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Isn't it interesting how sometimes other people see the solution to our issues before we ever see them ourselves? Isn't it interesting why, how other people might have faith before we ever have faith in the situation that we are struggling with the most? See, this little girl knew of God's saving grace. She was very much aware of who her God was back in her home. And she was very much aware of who the prophet Elisha was. And she knew and she shared selflessly that Naaman was the source to her God who could, Elisha was the source to her God who could heal Naaman. Listen to what one commentator describes as he describes the situation. He says, by his matchless grace, God worked through the unrighteous deeds of Naaman's own army to bring this little slave girl into his own home to be the instrument of God's love. Who does God use to be his messenger? He uses those that are willing. Those that are willing to take that step of faith, even though it might, 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 might make sense, even though somebody might reject them, they're willing to take that step of faith. God's messengers are those that love him, those that obey his commands. And this little girl, even though she was living in the midst of dire circumstances as a captive, was willing to take a step of faith because she knew the hope she had that her master needed. The first point that I have on your outline this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. Is even when it doesn't make sense, God is still growing our faith. And something that I wrestled with, I kept asking myself questions. Why would Naaman the Great, this great army commander in which everybody jumped when he said jump, why would he, why would he of all people choose to listen to this servant girl, this captive, this girl that was merely taking care of the needs of his wife? Why would he listen to her? And as I wrestled with that question and as I started unpacking in my mind through prayer, God reminded me that when we're desperate, when there's no other solution, when there's no other hope, we're willing to do and listen to just about anything. And even though it probably didn't make sense to Naaman, even the idea of going to a whole other territory didn't quite rationalize in his mind, he was desperate. He needed hope. And he was willing to take even the backlash that he might get from some of those that were around him. And he said, I will do anything to be get healed. But as we learned early, almost anything. He won't do that. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when in our minds everything doesn't quite come together. Our God is growing our faith. There are so many times in our lives when we don't quite understand why or how something is going on. But God uses that situation. God uses that stress or that overwhelming feeling to stretch us, to build our faith. Look at verses 4 and 5. Naaman went to his master and he told him that what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. 
when you're desperate, when there's nowhere else to turn in your intellectual mind, you're willing to open your mind up maybe to what God can do. Naaman was willing to travel from safety of his territory to the unknown of his enemy's territory for healing. And his king respected him and also desired that he would be healing where what does scripture says? The king replied by saying, by all means, go. Scripture says that the king would send a letter on his behalf. And so what Naaman did is he loaded up an entire entourage of people to go with him. And not only did he have an entourage, but he would bring with him, it says, a ton of gifts, gold and silver and clothing, which was immensely valuable. Look at verse 6. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of leprosy. Notice some of the language there in verse 6. Naaman's king writes to King Jerem of Israel that he is sending his servant Naaman requesting that the king may cure him of leprosy. What's interesting here when you look at the text, never did we read, never did we see that the servant girl said, go to the king of Israel, he will heal you. No, but when we read that letter from king to king, never does it mention Elijah or the God of Israel. The problem that we see here is that Naaman went to the wrong source first for healing. How often do we do the exact same thing? Where we have something going on in our lives, where we're stressed or we need uh, input from others. Where instead of going to God, we go to every single other person, even if they want to listen to us or not. And we engage with them and we ask them for their opinions and we ask and we ask and we ask until we find the person that will say what we want them to to say, rather than when we're stressed or when we're anguished or we're overwhelmed, than taking a step back and seeking out the great counselor and asking God, how do you want to work in this situation? See, we don't just do it in our relational aspect. We also do it with our health. How often do we run to medical or, or pharmaceuticals anytime that we're not feeling good? How often do we hear if someone has a little teeny sniffle in their nose that automatically is on the phone with the doctor trying to get a pill rather than taking a step back and asking the great physician through a prayer, God, how am I supposed to handle this situation? And if we were to ask him through a prayer, and look, I'm not saying that, that medicine and doctors are bad, not at all. But what I am saying is sometimes we put our hope in those that are practicing on our bodies rather than he who created our bodies. Or how often do we look to the government for our hope? How often do we look to the government for all that we need? You become unemployed and what do you do? You automatically go to the government and get put on unemployment. You fail to save for your retirement and instead of being wise throughout the years, you say, who cares? The government has it and we get on social security. Or what about this? Who do we allow to shape the worldview of the next generation that's coming? We allow the government through our education system. See, the shaping of our next generation, the expectation for our needs should not be on the hands of our government. It should be on the church. And if we are going to have big faith, we need to go to the one who has the power to provide. 
the one who has shaped this world into being, the one that takes our thoughts and makes them into his thoughts, the one who has a plan and a purpose for us, the one promises not to harm us, but to build us, to give us a hope, the one who allowed our government to be in place, who allowed our leaders to exist, but is the one that will take them out at the sound of his voice, the one in whom all of our big faith should be in. But Naaman, But Naaman, in our story today, operating at this point on another person's faith, went to the wrong person to get healed. And this appearance to the king of Israel created quite quite the stir with poor king Jerem. Look at verse 7. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. Notice the king's reaction. He thought that when he received this letter, that they were going to go to war. And this brought great anguish upon him. Anytime that we see in scripture of someone ripping or tearing their clothing, that is an outward demonstration of someone who is in anguish, someone that is in sadness or in fear. You can tell spiritually where the king and those that are around him were. For never once did they think to reach out or cry out to our God or reach out to Elisha. See, if he had the eyes of faith to see, if the king had a discerning heart, he would have known that he wasn't being set up for disaster, but he was rather being set up divinely where the God of Israel was about to show his miraculous hand. But how often, how often can we see how one another is doing spiritually based on how we react to adversity. When our initial response is, oh my goodness, my God has it, we know that we are in tune with who our God is. But when our initial response often is more, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? We realize that spiritually, maybe we're not in the right place. Because so often, not only do we go to the wrong source for healing, we also, at times, with a limited amount of faith, think that we need to do everything in our own abilities, and our own strength. Listen how the NIV translates verse 7. He says, the king, am I God that I can give life and take it away? I mean, that sounds crazy. We can't take life or give life, can we? Then why do we act like we're the God that created the heavens and the earth? Why is it that in our lives, when we find ourselves in a situation where we strategize and we plan without ever consulting God, where we take our burdens and we put them on ourselves and we think that we're super mom or super dad, and we take our children's burdens on ourselves and say, let me handle it for you, or when we're overwhelmed, when we're stressed, and we don't know where else to turn, we turn to Google, YouTube, whatever it is, to find the solution to our issues rather than turning to God in prayer and allowing him to guide us and tell us how to take a step. See, friend, the problem is, is that when we blaze our own path, rather than allowing God to open the doors, we miss out on his plan and his purpose for our lives. King Jerem thought it was a setup, and he was in anguish because he knew that he could not do what he was being asked to do. And even worse than not being able to do what he was being asked to do, was being asked who it was for, the commander of his enemies. And from his perspective, humanly speaking, the only logical response on his part was that they were going to attack him. 
But things aren't always the way that they appear on the surface. God is working in ways that we can't understand when we have our limited scope. And it makes me think of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 9, verse 26, where Jesus said, With man all things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. And all we need to do is have enough faith to include him in every situation of our lives and allow him to grow and stretch our faith even when it doesn't quite make sense. Verse 8. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. And as we study the life of Elijah, we find that this wasn't the first time that King Jerem had not consulted Elisha immediately. We see earlier in 2 Kings chapter 3 that King Jerem had lacked faith and didn't include Elijah. And bigger than Elijah, didn't include the God of Israel. I don't know about you, but I've seen it so many times in my life where I intellectualize, where I think I understand the situation enough where, eh, we'll be all right, I can handle that. And what happens is I just spin my wheels. Have you ever been there where you make a decision and you just spin your wheels and you think you're going nowhere at all? And it's amazing when you finally take your foot off the brake or off the gas, put it on the brake and say, God, I'm not getting anywhere. What are you teaching me in this situation? See, when you ask that second question, when you ask that third question is when God starts to show you the errors of your way and starts to remind you in a way that only our God does. Because remember, God doesn't push himself on us. He's a gentleman. But in a way that God comes and he brings people into our lives. He brings others that will literally be his hands and his feet to come alongside us, to encourage us, to assist us, to reprimand us, to guide us. Look at the last part of verse 8. It says this. He will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Our God will make it so clear to Naaman that the healing is not going to come about as a result of the king. God will make it so clear that the healing did not come about because Naaman was such a great man, because of his title or even his job or his money. God will use the prophet Elisha to show all involved that the healing only comes from his hand. But in order for Naaman to learn that, he was going to have to lay down his pride, which is my second thought that I have for you on your outline this morning, is our pride keeps us from growing in our faith. Look at verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Picture the scene for just a moment if you could. Naaman, with horse after horse after chariot after chariot, goes from the king to the home of the prophet Elijah. He could have gone by himself. He didn't need an entourage. But that's not how Naaman rolled. That's not how the great, amazing commander Naaman rolled. He had a reputation. He was important. He was showing by coming in that way, he was conveying a message to Elisha. It's almost as if he was saying in order for the man of God that it would be an honor for Elisha to be privileged to speak to Naaman the Great. And not only would it be an honor for Elisha to speak to him, even more so, Naaman, or excuse me, Elisha's career would be made by healing Elisha, or healing Naaman. I will get that right. Remember what we covered last week? Remember, if you miss a week, you miss a lot. But we saw last week how Elisha treated a king and a widow the exact same. 
that whether you have high standing or no standing, Elisha was a perfect example of who our God is. It doesn't matter your title. It doesn't matter how much or how little money you have. Our God looks at everybody the same. And our God wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives, whether we view them significant or insignificant. Our God wants to be involved in every detail of our lives. So if Elisha wasn't impressed with the king, nor was pushed off by a widow, there's no way that Naaman the great was going to impress Elijah. So much so that he wasn't going to be moved, or even as we see, will move to even greet Naaman. Listen to this. It says this in verse 10. Elisha sent a message to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Did you see that? Elisha sent a messenger. He didn't even get up to go and see him. As I was thinking about this message, I was trying to figure out, okay, what would be a situation for you or I that could kind of relate to what Naaman and Elisha had? And the only thing I could come up with is imagine today you're sitting at home and, and you're watching TV, whatever it is that you do, and all of a sudden you hear outside of your home that President Trump and his giant motorcade has come up. You have all those police motorcycles, his limo they call the Beast, and CHP helicopter above. And it's all at your door. And President Trump has come to see you to get a piece of advice so he can make a wise, informed decision. It would be an absolute honor to be able to speak to the president. But instead of standing up and shaking his hand, you say, you know what? I'll just respond to him through a tweet, and he will figure out what it is that I have to say. See, Elisha was not impressed, just as President Trump would probably not be impressed if we tweeted him. And so what he did is he instructed Naaman to go wash seven times in the Jordan, and he said, you'll be healed. Remember, even when it doesn't make sense, God is growing our faith. And this certainly did not make sense to our man, Naaman. Look at verses 11 and 12. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation in this part. And he thought I would certainly come out and meet him, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, the far, far better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and he went away in a rage. As I pictured, I picture uh, him having almost like a temper tantrum. The text says that he became angry and stalked away. He threw a pity party because he didn't get what he wanted. Maybe you saw yesterday on SportsCenter, Phil Michelson, Mickelson was having a hard time on the green, so he literally ran after the ball to hit it and threw a temper tantrum at the U.S. Open. That's kind of how I picture what Naaman is doing. He's having a temper tantrum, although he might not be screaming and yelling like a three-year-old, but he wasn't getting his way, and he was sulking, and he was angry. How often do you do that? How often do we, when we don't get what we want, when things don't meet our expectations, do we remove ourselves or maybe not remove ourselves and pout and whine and complain? Did you catch Naaman's words there at the beginning? In verse 11, he said, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. It's almost like Naaman was saying, does he not know who I am? Does he not know how far that I had to travel? Does he not know how important I am? Does he not see that giant entourage that I have out there? 
John Ortberg, in one of his books, told a story of a, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company who pulled into a gas station. He went inside to, to pay, and as he came out, he noticed that his wife was having a, a deep discussion with the service station attendant, the guy pumping the gas. And it turned out that she used to date this man back in high school. So the CEO got in the car, and as they drove off, it was um, very quiet. He was feeling pretty good about himself when he finally spoke up, and he said, I bet I know what you're thinking. He said, I bet you were thinking that you're glad that you married me, a CEO of a major corporation, and not him, a service station attendant. And his wife said, no. I was thinking that if I married him, he would have been the Fortune 500 CEO, and you would have been the gas station attendant. How often do we in our pride think of ourselves higher than we ought? Naaman continued by saying, I expected him to wave his hand over my leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God. Naaman in his pride, in his arrogance, thought that he could be healed with absolutely doing absolutely nothing. Just a quick, easy, in and out like a drive through In essence, Naaman was looking for a magic trick rather than a healing by the power of God. There's one word there in those two verses that we can easily overlook. Naaman said, call on the name the Lord, his God. See, at this point, Naaman is walking on 100% of the faith of this young servant girl. He's relying on the faith of Elijah and his connection with God. Understand this, friend, that the faith of your husband, that the faith of your wife, that the faith of your parents or the faith of your children are not going to get you into heaven. They can pray. They can plant seeds along the way. But a faith decision is 100% yours. And just as the little servant girl spoke to about Elisha, and just as Elisha told Naaman how he could be healed, the faith step was all in Naaman's court, not in theirs court. But the problem was, For Naaman, the healing wasn't going to go about in the way that he expected that it would. How often do your expectations get in the way of God's best for your life? How often do you view a situation a certain way only for God to want you to look at it from a complete 180 degree different perspective? How often do our expectations keep us from growing in the way that God has called us to grow? Look at the last part of verse 12, because Naaman's temper tantrum didn't just end at the beginning. He said, aren't there rivers of the Damascus, the Abana, the Farfar, better than the rivers of Israel? See, for Naaman in this moment, the idea of being healed in the Jordan was so obscure to him. He viewed the Jordan as like a dirty river, like we view the the delta as dirty and nasty. And he's saying, aren't there much cleaner rivers back where I'm home? It'd be like us saying, you know, I'd much rather swim in a clean swimming pool than out in the Delta where they have all the smock by down the Stockton Marina area. He said, why did I have to come all the way here to go into that dirty river? But we have to understand that God uses the simplest of things that make no sense to us to grow our faith. See, in Naaman's situation, it wasn't about the river it was about his obedience. Just as for us, the river that God may draw, might use to draw you or, or I near to him, it varies greatly. But the purpose of the river is the exact same. It's to bring us to a place of repentance, 
a place of obedience, a place of a right relationship with him. See, I hope that you're starting to see that we are much more like Naaman than any of us want to acknowledge. Where we're given clear instructions from God's word on exactly how we're to walk through a very specific situation. But because it doesn't make sense to us intellectually, we don't want to take that step. Or where God calls us to do that one thing that we, don't, we absolutely don't want to do. Or we say, God, I'll go speak to anyone on your behalf. But don't make me speak to that one person. Or we say, God, I will forgive anyone of anything, but not that one thing. Or we say, God, I will go anywhere you call me to go as long as I get to stay in my comfort zone. See, sometimes it takes God asking us to do the humbling thing before we even recognize our pride. Let me say that again for you. Sometimes it takes God asking us to do a humbling thing before we even recognize our pride. So often, marriages are destroyed. Families are broken apart. Friendships are lost. All because someone wants to keep their pride intact. Let me ask you, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to keep your pride intact? See, some of us, we won't acknowledge a wrong. We won't compromise on a petty issue. You won't admit your need for help because you want to hold on to your pride so tightly. And Naaman was willing to leave Elisha's place in order to keep his pride intact. But the problem for Naaman was he was still going to be a leper if he left with his pride. See, Naaman might not have known until that moment how much he had believed his own PR campaign until he heard heard Elisha's simple instructions. And when he heard those instructions, he had contempt for God's solution, for his healing as much was, it was so simple but yet so hard for him that he was willing to walk away from it all. Notice something else here in the text. Nowhere do we see in there that Elisha got up and ran after him. Never once does that happen. No, Elijah sat exactly where he was. And he left Naaman in the hands of our sovereign God. And he trusted that our sovereign God, who has a plan for every person, would use someone else to impact his life. And that's exactly what happened here. Look at verse 13. But his servants came to him and said, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? This is so significant here. If the prophet had told you to do something wild and crazy, you would have done it. But because his pride got hurt, because his little ego got stepped on, because his own expectations weren't met, he wasn't able to see the simple solution that God put right in front of him to his lifelong issue. If a doctor told you to stop eating meat, to go take 14 different pills and see 19 specialists, you would jump through every hoop he tells you because he is wise and you want to be healed. But if the God that created the heavens and the earth, the God that knows the amount of hairs that are on your head, the God that breathed life into you said, sit and wait in my presence, why is that so hard to believe in faith? 
My last point today is the third time wonder, as I would describe it. As we have covered this point every single week through this three-week series, and it's this. You'll never know how God will meet you in your faith until you take a step of faith. Look at verse 14, and let's see how when Naaman finally humbled himself enough to see God meet him in his step of faith. Look at verse 14. It says, so he went down. He dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. When Naaman finally got it, when he was finally willing to take that step of faith, when he was finally willing to lay down his pride as though he did not know everything, it wasn't just a physical descent. He was lowering his pride He was lowering himself in obedience to God's words spoken by the prophet Elisha. And here's the interesting detail. When Naaman rises up out of the waters of the Jordan, his skin peers, as scripture says, like that of a young boy. The word translated here for boy also can be used for the word servant. So although Naaman's skin was ravaged and transformed, so was his heart that was ravaged and even evil transformed as well. And listen to his response in verse 15. He says this to Elisha. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company, that big entourage. And he came and he stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all of the earth but in Israel. Do you see that? He gave all of the credit for his healing to his God. And as this faith-stretching journey he went through for where he was down and he was so full of pride to a place where he finally laid down his pride, he was transformed both physically and spiritually as he was finally able to see the source for his healing and grace in his life. And friends, today as we wrestle with big faith, whether we have a little teeny insy bits of faith or we have big faith, Our God is stretching our faith. He's calling us to take a step of faith, and he's calling us to hold him to his promises. When we take that step of faith, he will meet us exactly where we are at. And the question today, as we finish this series up, is are you willing to surrender your pride? Are you willing to surrender your plans? Are you willing to surrender your expectations and allow God to change those to meet his plan? And his purpose. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, the, the story of Naaman and his healing gives us a beautiful picture of who you are and who we are. God, we hate to acknowledge it this morning, but so many of us are so like Naaman in so many different ways, even though we don't want to admit it. We all struggle with pride. We struggle with our own kind of leprosy that separates us from you, that separates us from others. And God, while it might not be physical, spiritually, we all have that disease of sin that is keeping us from you. God, we need healing this morning. But the problem, God, is that we're too much like Naaman and less like Jesus. Where we've bought all the hype and the lies that our spiritual enemy has taught us through our culture. That we are important, that we are strong, that we are smart, that we deserve it, that we can do it on our own. God, will you remind us how important we are to you? God, will you help us today to understand that we are made strong in our weakness, that in our humility, not in our pride or in our strength, that God, will you help us to see that we are made wise, not in worldly intellect, but in spiritual truth. God, help us to see that no matter how much we might try to overcome sin, 
that we can't do it on our own. Naaman couldn't be healed on our own, on his own. He couldn't buy it. He couldn't obtain it through his own connections. No, the only way that Naaman was healed was putting his faith in you to hold you to your word, to trust you, God, that what you said you would do, that you would do. And yet, God, we can read the stories of Scripture. We can sing the songs that faith is rising, that anything can happen. And we can say it out of our voices, but in our minds we say anything can happen, but not to me. Not in my situation. Holy Spirit, stir in that person's heart right now. Holy Spirit, stir in a way that only you can and speak right into that situation and tell them that, God, you have that in the palm of your hand, that you're working even though it doesn't make sense, that, God, you are calling them to take a step and trust you. God, I hate to acknowledge it in front of so many people, but, God, I know there's times that my pride gets in the way of my relationship with you. And God, I know that I'm not the only one here. So Father, for every single one of us here that have a pride issue, and we know that we do because your word speaks about it so many times, God, will you help us to lay down our pride right now? Will you help us to lay down our expectations of the way things are supposed to be? And God, will you meet us where we're at? God, I can't help but think of your word right now of Hebrews, when the author of Hebrews says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an insurance of what we do not see. God, give us that faith to put our hope 100% in you. That God, it's impossible to please you because anyone who comes to him must believe that you exist and that God, you will call us to you. And so Father, I pray today for whoever it is that's here today that has been on the sideline. They hear about this faith idea. They hear about Jesus. They hear about, hear about healing. And it's so foreign to them. God, will you meet them now? Even right now, is your Holy Spirit stirring in their heart in, in a way that feels uncomfortable? God, that's what you do sometimes to get our attention. So if that's you here today, God's speaking to you. He's calling out to you. He's saying, I have something better for you than the way that you've been living. I want to heal you. I want to help you. I want to change your life. Maybe if that's you today and you, you hear about Naaman and you resonate with him because you also have pride, you resonate with him because you have expectations and all those expectations haven't been met in your life, maybe you need to be like Naaman and lay down your pride and follow after God. If that's you here today, I want to challenge you even right now, whether you want to say it um, audibly or in the silence of your heart. God, I need you. I need you in my heart. I need you in my life, God. I need healing. Will you heal me? Will you heal my heart? Will you change me? Do you know if you said something, something like that, that there is a party in heaven right now? For when one person turns their ways over to God, when they repent, when they turn from their old ways and, and live by God's ways, there is a celebration in heaven. And I would love to celebrate with you today. If that's you, would you please come talk with me after the service? Come tell me about your life. And, and, and can I tell you more about how God wants to heal you from the inside out?
But for every one of us here today, can I leave you with this one last thought in our prayer time? What is it that you need to surrender in your life so that your faith can grow? May that be your prayer as we continue our time together and through this lost song of worship. I thank you and I praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said, amen.